Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. Let's jump right into it. Within the first few verses that Marshall read today, we have two right in a row. One of them will probably be familiar, if not, if not even a verse you could recite by heart, either in Hebrew and or in English. And the second one, uh, less so. And I want to read the two of them and then ask you a question about them. All right, so if you're following from home, the text sheet went out in the Shabbat uh, bulletin. If you just have a chumash in front of you, it's chapter 25 of Shemot of Exodus, verse 8. The Asu Li Mikdash, this is God commanding the Israelites, you shall make for me, I'm going to not translate this from a Mikdash, Vishachanti Betocham, and I will... Uh, live or dwell among them. Uh, it's an interesting shiur, but not the shiur I want to give right now, why it means, why God says, build me a this and I will dwell among them. That's an interesting question. It doesn't say that I will dwell in it, but a this. that's the verse that uh, many people know. Uh, you see that sometimes um, over in our own Kodesh and synagogues. Uh, it's kind of a, a slogan for spiritual gathering. And the next verse, Kechol asher ani mare otcha, Everything, or like, just like everything that I show you, mar'e is the causative, the he feel of ro'es, or ro'e is to see, mar'e is to make someone else see to, see to show. Et tavnit hamishkan, and this is uh, meaning the, 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 the building shape, the pattern is translated here of the, I'm also going to untranslate this, mishkan. Viet tavnit kol kelav, and the pattern of all of its uh, implements, v'chein taso. Tasu, that's, that's what you should do. Okay. Um, aside from the thing I pointed out before that God asks to make an it, and then God says, I'm going to dwell in the them. Does anyone find anything curious about, um, in, in particular, this couplet of verses? Neither, I'm not looking at something which uh, is odd within any verse, but the fact that one verse follows, the, anything jump out at you is, hmm, or either because it's redundant or because it's inconsistent or anything like that. I don't want to leave the witness too much. Um, let's give a microphone that we'll pass around. Uh, <clears throat> why is it necessary to say at the end? Okay, good. So if, if in the beginning God has given a command, one would think that, that, that the command is self-evident. Why should God repeat the command at the end? Good. Not the one I was I was looking for, but that's good too. Anything else in, in comparison, comparing verses eight and nine, I'll, 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 the, the, particularly the vocabulary. The, okay, so so we're change. We seem to be changing from singular to plural a lot. I'm asking you, plural, to make me a single thing, and I'm going to dwell in them, plural. And then later on, the animare odcha is everything that I show you, singular, right? So it's got. Where's the them? Yeah, that, that, this, I forgot which translation this is. It's, I hate to critique, it's a bad translation because va'asuli is a command form. Make, make me a mikdash. But there's a them in the betocham. So there's a them, then you sing. The object of what they're supposed to build has two different names. Uh -huh. In verse eight, it's called mikdash. In verse nine, it's mishkan. Okay. Bingo, right? So if, if we read each verse on its own, it makes sense. If we assume that the thing that is being spoken about in verse 8 is also being spoken about in verse 9, the question we can ask is, what is it? 
what is God asked? What's the name of the thing? Is it a mikdash or is it a mishkan? Now, either that's a question about nothing, synonyms, rabbi, something, or as I'm going to posit in the next, the relationship between mikdash, which are often used somewhat interchangeably, but throughout history, might say some of the most important things about our understanding about how we. When I say that the two words have been things historically, what do I mean? What historically does the Mishkan mean? What structure? The portable sanctuary in the wilderness. In fact, the very thing that is being commanded right now, the beginning of Parshat Shuma. We've just finished Parshat Mishpatim. We had 10 commandments in Yitro. We had civil laws in Mishpatim. And now it has come time for God to say, oh, by the way, in addition to treating each other mentally, and and observing Shabbat, you need to build me a place where I can be among you. Traditionally, that is referred to as the Mishkan. And traditionally, what object or building does the word Mikdash refer to? Uh, thank the, the, the Beit HaMikdash. Right, like the, the permanent one, right? So Mishkan is temporary, Mikdash is permanent, or it was permanent twice before the Babylonians and the Romans uh, unpermanented it, okay? Um, there's nothing about the word Mishkan that's, that means temporary, there's nothing around the word mikdash that means permanent, but those terms to describe uh, either the one that the Israelites would break down, carry, and build, break down, carry, and build, not only, by the way, throughout the years of the Torah on the eastern side of the Jordan, but even when they crossed um, in the book of Joshua into the land of Canaan and they established a polity there, it was not right away that they got to Jerusalem. In fact, to the extent we can historicize the notion of the Israelites crossing the Jordan of Israel, to historicize the story of Moses, let's call it about 1200 BCE, although it's hovering in that kind of prehistory mode, we can absolutely historicize uh, King David and the building of um, the first temple by his son Solomon. King David rules from about the year 1000. To, that's, that's, not a, that's not a myth. It's not, it's not hovering in myth. That's real. Okay. So if there were a couple of hundred years or so that the descendants of those who came out of Egypt were living in the land of Canaan. They did not have a singular monarchy yet. In fact, they didn't even have monarchs for a while. They were prophets until it got to Saul, David's uh, predecessor. But they worshiped and they worshiped in one central place. And what was the name of the place that they worshipped at? The Mishkan, right? And it, it was in several different places, inclu including in the town of Shiloh. Has anyone ever in here ever been to the town of Shiloh? Shiloh is in uh, the Shomron, in the, in the northern part of the West Bank, um, uh, a lovely uh, village and settlement. And if you go to Shomron, the sanctuary, the synagogue uh, in Shomron, if you look at it from a distance, it is built according to what architectural blueprints? Parshat Shuma. It looks like the Mishkan. If you've ever seen uh, an attempt at drawing with the Mishkan, the Itzchayim Chumash here, there are some drawings. I out. Whoever finds the drawing, shout it out. There's an attempt to depict what the Mishkan Yeah, 1520. So at the bottom of 1520, if the next time you're in the Shomron and you want to visit Shul, that's where the Shul, that was the Mishkan. It was not converted into something called the Mikdash, the Beit HaMikdash, or until it was built as a permanent structure. But again, those distinctions were, 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 were different words used to describe two buildings in history, disconnected from the origin of the meat. Okay? Um, look at the source two. This is uh, Babylonian Talmud, Masechet Eruvin, uh, page two. It's actually, some of you know that Tal Talmudic tractates begin on page two. Um, so page two is actually page one. So this is when the first couple of lines of Masechet Eruvin, page two, side A. And the rabbis, in a context that is 
we don't need to get into, say, Ashkechan Mishkan Ik. Sometimes we find that the Mishkan is referred to as the Mikdash, U Mikdash de Ikre Mishkan. And sometimes the Mikdash is referred. What they're basically saying is, hey, reader, don't be so confused by the two verses we looked at. Yeah, it is referring to the same thing. Sometimes it's called Mikdash, sometimes it's called Mishkan. If those buildings, the words refer to two different buildings, then maybe there's something about the word that represents why one building was called what one thing. But if the same word is used to describe the same building, which is what we're seeing in our verses and in Erevin, then it might be that something about the word is, is saying something about what's supposed to happen anytime we're building a space. So let's take a look at some of the roots. Um, if I had to ask you the root Kadosh, Kiddush, Kedusha, Mikdash, Kadosh, 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 in your uh, varied Jewish education, what do you think that that root? Holy, almost everyone said holy, right? You might say sacred, sanctified, right? It's, it's the most common way of <clears throat> mistrans the root Kuf Dalit Shin. We'll get to that in a second. And if I said to you, what is the basic mean of the root shin, kuf, nun, shchuna, shachain, shchina, uh, to dwell, to, dwell to, 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 to live near, right? A shachain is a neighbor. A shchina is God's feminine indwelling, right? A shchuna is a neighbor. Let's hold on that. The, the, those who've done most, most amount of research into what biblical words and so look at source three. These are a couple of entries from the authoritative um, dictionary written by Rabbi Marcus Jastro. It, it's an unbelievable work, especially in an era of pre-computers, how he uh, finds literally every root used in all of rabbinic and biblical. Tells you what it means in every form, uh, little footnotes before there were hyperlinks. It's, it's impossible to conceive how hard it was and how much he had to master to make. His entry for Mishkan, so some of these abbreviations are, um, are hard to follow. The mem, the M period means masculine. It's a masculine noun. B-H, anyone know what? Biblical Hebrew, right? From the biblical <laughs> Hebrew. What, what did I miss? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, yeah. Um, because Jastro is primarily a dictionary of rabbinic Hebrew. He says it comes from the biblical root shachan. Um, when uh, Jastro puts something in, in italics, that means the definitions are examples. So shachan, uh, is from the biblical root of shachan, and what does mishkan mean? If it's a lowercase mem, haha, it means a dwelling, and if it's an uppercase mem, it means a particular kind of dwelling, the temporary sanctuary of the desert, a tabernacle, okay? In fact, um, the next thing, erub to, that's actually the preview above, that's eruvin, page two, that's the exact source that we just before, so he, in his dictionary, brings us to the Talmudic source that we're looking at. Now, go to the next one, root four, uh, source four, this is the um, uh, entry, not for the noun mishkan, but for the verb shachan. Okay, so um, he says, first of all, biblical Hebrew, v, view, look at, compare it to the root kaf, vav, nun, kun, or kon. And he says, what does the word mean? It means to dwell or to, and it gives you a couple of forms. In what's called the pl form, lishakain, which is sometimes, uh, it's, sometimes it's an intensive form, and sometimes it's a causative form. In this um, root, it's a causative. Lishakain means to make something else dwell, to cause to dwell, to dwell or to establish. He quotes the Talmud from uh, Brachot, Mi shashikain et shemo hu yashkin, the very one who made 
God's own name to dwell amongst you, that one will bring peace. Will yashkin shalom, that's the next word, will allow um, peace and love and brotherhood to be among you. And similarly, when it's in hif'il, which is another causative form, it means to cause Yashkinu lashkina. They, uh, the righteous one, who do, who because of the way they live, they cause God to be dwelling among them. So, according to Jastro and biblical and the Mishkan is a place of living. Who's living? Maybe God, right? Maybe God, because it doesn't seem to suggest that the Israelites are living. But when we say that maybe God is living there, we start running into a language problem because we also don't imagine that God lives anywhere. Right? And we don't imagine that God is limited to a particular place on earth. But it's something or someone is dwelling in whatever is the Mishkan. Again, Mishkan doesn't mean temporary. It means a place of dwelling. Now let's look at what Jastro says about Mikdash. So we'll do the same thing. First look at the noun and then the verb in source five. In Mikdash, masculine noun, biblical Hebrew, the root Kadash. And he says, what is Mikdash? A sanctuary. And especially Beit HaMikdash, the sanctuary right? That the temple. Look what he says very interestingly. And remember, Jastro, linguist, he's not writing a commentary on the Torah. He knows the Torah, but he's not offering what he's saying as a way of commenting on the Torah. He's just telling you what words mean. He says, contradicting or, or contra, in contradistinction to Mishkan, the tabernacle. So what he says is that the word Mikdash specifically means the permanent temple in Jerusalem, not to be confused with the Mishkan, the temporary dwelling in the desert, even though Parshat Shuma confuses them. Even though in our, in our Parsha, both words are used to describe the same thing. And then he also, in this spot, quotes the very thing that we saw above, Ashkachan Mishkan Ikris, the tabernacle is called Mikdash and vice versa. And now, what does Jastro say the root Kadash means? Interestingly, his first definition for what the root means is not holy, is not sacred. Kadash, Biblical Hebrew, that is not something we normally talk about when we're saying what the Kadusha is. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. God is cut off, cut off, cut off. Doesn't make sense, right? Uh, you under a chuppah are going to go through Kiddushin. You're going to be cut off from each other. It doesn't really make sense. And yet, according to Jastro, that's what the root separated, distinct. Interestingly, look later on in that um, bracket, compared to parash. Parash means to pull yourself away. What was the name of the, of, the, of the caste, the subset of Jews who became the rabbis in the Hellenists? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. The, Pharisees. The, the Pharisees, as opposed to the Sadducees. Sadducees is a bastardization of that Sadukim. The Pharisees, why were they Prushim? Because they pulled away. They were distinct. They were, they were ascetics. They were actually trying to make themselves Kadosh. Not Kadosh in the sense of holy, but Kadosh in the sense of being removed and unlike all others. By the way, I think it's actually a better um, way of rendering the word, and it works for Shabbat, and it even works for Mary. When we say Shabbat is holy, it doesn't really help us understand what Shabbat is, because what does holy mean, right? When we say Shabbat is distinct, all of a sudden we're understanding what our obligation is to treat the day and treat ourselves on that day in a way that is entirely distinguished from the days before it, that actually begins to make some sense. I actually think that kiddushin for a, a married couple or a couple getting engaged being described not as you're building something holy together. I've got nothing wrong with the idea of people building something holy together. I just don't think what the word means. What did it mean in the, in the ancient rabbinic world when he, the groom, was mikadesh otah? It wasn't saying you'll be my holy wife. 
It was saying your, 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 you, that your relationship with me is separate and distinct from your relationship with anyone else. It was fidelity. It was troth, right? The first of the two ceremonies under a chuppah is the wedding ceremony, but it's really first you, you get engaged. The, the ring ceremony applies the engagement ceremony, even though in our modern world, you've already gotten engaged. But the first set of blessings in the ring ceremony is an engagement ceremony. There are two uh, Hebrew words that describe that engagement and kiddushin, they're synonyms. The reason why it means kiddushin is because he was saying to her in ancient, you are giving me your, in exchange for that a ring. In modern, when I do two rings to be the norm, now it is, I never have it be in a, I don't say you're eating for the other one's ring. In fact, I separate the two ceremonies by the reading of the, you each are giving a ring in exchange for, right? In the exchange for the other one saying, I'm going to be kadosh or kiddushah to you, singular to you that I am with no one else. That is a distinctness. And I think it actually makes better sense than holiness. Okay. Um, so uh, later on, he says, it also means to become pure, sacred, holy, but but on a, on a basic level, it's something about being different. Or, and then he tells us what it means in the PL to sanctify. Uh, so push it back into our verse. If we think that Jastra was right, and a Mishkan is a place of dwelling, who's dwelling? Paula suggested maybe gods, but we don't know. And a Mikdash is a place, let's not use the word holiness, but a, of separateness, of distinctness, of being different. What about that building that the Israelites were building in the desert suggested that it should be a place for both. In what way was that early place of prayer and worship and gathering a place of mikdash and on such that both words could using Jastro's definitions of the words. From Jastro's definition of the words, what is kadosh about that building? If we can't use the word holy to describe it. It's, it's separate and apart. And the, the Ploni Ben Ploni wasn't allowed to enter in the, the priests that were doing it. So it was separate. Okay, so we're getting somewhere. What we're saying about this building this, this is that wherever it is placed and it's traveled, the moment you walked into its threshold, you were or you should have been trans. Why to this day does it, does it drive me a little, bit, a little bit crazy as a father and as a rabbi that the notion of big day Shabbat, of, of dressing appropriately, has um, been downgraded in a generation. I see wearing a hoodie, a hoodie. <laughs> but underneath my hoodie, <laughs> um, I'm actually. Yes, I'm actually torn on the very issue because there's a part of me that would like our shul to be more like um, kind of an Israeli style where khakis and a white summer for bar mitzvah. But I do like the notion of the children and the adults in our community when they walk into this, that the crossing over, because wherever this building would be, because it is a mikdash and therefore it is a place of separateness and distinctness, that it is supposed to awaken a change in our behavior. Turn the page. It's this Hasidic commentary that actually was the engine for this whole um, teaching, uh, because I came upon it first, and then I did some back search onto. Um, I've been teaching from him a lot recently. I've, um, his name is the Shame Mishum, uh, name of, of his book, Rabbi Avram Bornstein. I think he was the second Sukkachever Rebbe. It was a, not a famously famous dynasty of Hasidic Rebbe's, but it is one. And as I said the last time I taught him, what I like Shame Mishmuel is that unlike a lot of other Hasidic texts, he's very, you don't, you don't need to have um, full expertise in all the layers of the Torah. And he's also saying something interesting. This is what the Shemi Shmuel says on our, first he quotes, I've seen several times, I brought it to you, and then Jastro, 
Mishkan Ikre Mikdash, U Mikdash Ikre Mishkan is called the Mikdash, some kind of called the Mishkan. Again, that's the Talmud's way of saying it's not just the case. Those two words mean two different buildings. One temporary was traveling through the land of Israel, uh, the Jordan and the land of Israel, and the other one permanent. It's actually two words that can both refer to the same thing, kind of theology of presence. Mikdash Nikra Mitzad Yisrael. When we use the word Mikdash, we're using it to say something about the people who are inside of it. Shehem mit kadshim, because they make themselves kadosh. Don't read it as holy here. Read it the way Joshua. It's called a mikdash because when a Yisrael walks into it, he or she recognizes that they are obligated to mit kadesh in this, to act differently, to be different. Uforshim, like the Pharisees, and to pull back, to separate, to, to be singular from hachomriut, the root chomer, which means material, material things, right? Again, this is something that we times belie in the modern uh, synagogue life, particularly when there's a culture of, of dressing to the nines and dressing to the nine our most sacred days, like the day dress down. We're put on a kittle, put on a, on a simple piece of, piece of clothing. You know, cultures have their own momentum. And in a lot of places, including here on some level, there is, there is a dive towards chomriyut, towards material things when we go to shul. He's saying, why is it called a mikdash? Because ideally it's a place where you separate yourself from the things which outside matter. What matters out there? Bling and cash and, and, and the access that what matters in here, you're being able to pull. The hudi book Yisrael, that is the essential quality of the way in which Yisrael experience a clinging, dibuk, modern Hebrew word devek is glue, a gluing together with their uh, heavenly Father, mimata lamala, from up down to up. So the first thing he said is, why is it a mikdash? It's a mikdash because of our obligation. We walk into it, and from our perspective, it's a mikdash because if we are successful in being mitkadesh, then we are sending the vibes up. For the moment, we even though we, we imagine that God is everywhere, avinu shabashemayim is up there, and our work in this space, in this room tonight and every night is to be mikudash or mitkadesh and to send up that intention and that uh, um, that focus upward. That's why it's mikdash. And why is it called mikdash? From God's perspective, it's a From our perspective, from God's perspective, it's a mishkan, going back to what Paula said before. Because if we do the right thing in this space, there's a chance that God will descend and be shochein in the Mishkan with God's people Israel. That's the vertical down clinging, and it comes in response to the vertical up. And it's almost to be saying, it's only a Mishkan if you do what you need to do to make it a Mikdash. If you don't treat the space as a Mikdash, don't expect any sh If you don't do what the space requires of you, sending the power up, power ever comes and that very spot meaning the spot um in wherever the mishkan stood the, Mish, the mishkan mikdash stood makom chibur that is the place of connection fusing together lechaber means to connect it's from the mimata lamala from down to up umilmala lama and from up down in alkain hunikra that's why it's called to what I love about this is, first of all, it makes the verses not just redundant. Not, it's so easy to say synonym. Talking about a massive system that allows or, or asks the Jew 
to expect of himself or her a certain pulling away everything else. And if that is how you're able, there's a chance. The Shekhinah will do some Shekhinah and you have the power. I think it always adds, this notion adds and reduces. And then I'd like to hear response. It adds pressure because it means that God doesn't, unless we've inv invited God's presence with you, and that's an enormous expectation that God would be, would be absent from the world, but not for us. So that adds pressure. Here's why it reduces. You've got one job as a Jew. It's not to follow along. It's certainly not to chat with a person. It's not to judge how well the other person lanes or davens. It's not to critique the darshan, right? It's not even necessarily to finish all the tefillot. Your job is to turn slightly, slightly separate. That's your own, that's your, everything else. Will. So um, from a Hasidic way of looking at prayer life, this like turn out all the noise, come into the space, be slightly not pulled back from society, but pulled back from what society says is important out there because different things. Let me pause here for a second. Thoughts, comments, reactions before we read one more source? That demand in that separation. And I think of, I keep thinking of Havdalah and it also think about uh, being really present. Me, like when I like to buy something that, and so the idea of walking into with that going on. Also, thank you, Paul, for that. And it, it's, it's relational. Um, in terms of with God, it's all to the self. Because if you're not having the religion, it's so easy to say, why didn't God visit me today? It's much more important to say, what have I not done, yet done to invite God here? Right? Rather, Mike Cummins, who is a reform rabbi, does a lot of writing on prayer, that every negative prayer experience, right? It's really, it's really wonderful. He just says it. Like, if you haven't had, and it's not about expertise. It's not about whether or not you can say the words well. If you have not had the prayer experience that you thought you were going to have, it's invested you have become the director of your own or that line i ask a while something's boring right so if your prayer is boring you okay it's probably you probably not god as a word irv yeah you know, i enjoy i enjoy singing the service the callback style stuff it became a major benefit period yeah. you know so what irv is saying this is kind of a a, a thick and sophisticated way of saying that that, that oft use aphorism that you you get out of something you put into it but in a very particular way in terms of what you're let's look at the last one about Abraham. we could spend two hours on just these two paragraphs we're not going to um he's adding a layer here i'll let it speak for itself the mythical mind would expect that after heaven and earth have been established god would create so you would think that if, if you believe in a world in which god said be in relation with the jewish with, with any people that once the basics have been done right would, would, would make something happen here a holy mountain or Whereupon a sanctuary, yet it seems as if, as if to the Bible, it is holiness in time, the Sabbath. And by the way, it does, right? Bef well before, in the Torah, we're asked to build a Mishkan. We're asked to build a Shabbat. The building of the Mishkan comes afterwards. Heschel's about to say, everything we just described is a concession to our weakness and our inability to make something holy or different without this. When history began, there was only one holiness, holiness in time. When at Sinai, the word of God was about to be voiced, a call for holiness in man was proclaimed. Thou shalt be. So first time itself was holy, then humanity became holy. It was only after the people had succumbed to the temptation of worshiping a thing. We don't know how to do holiness or separateness without something tangible, a golden calf, that the erection of a tabernacle, if holiness in, in space, was the sanctity of time came first and the sanctity of time was hallowed by God, space, the tabernacle. It's almost, he's not responding directly to, even if the Sukkot Rebbe is right, ideally we wouldn't even need a synagogue, right? Muslims pray anywhere, right? 
anywhere they are is, 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 is they're, they're their own walking mishkan. They put down a, a rug or if they don't have it, they don't do it. Uh, they, don't, they don't put it down and they beckon God wherever they are. It's not that Jews don't do that, but we don't generally do it. Jews who are committed praying regularly, a place to pray on the side of the road, but it's not the primary place that we, we need. We need Pilch Hall, we need the sanctuary, and, and we need a minion, right? And the Sakachar would say, yes, and you need to ask of yourself something specific when you go to that place so that God can be dwelling inside it. But Heschel's saying, ideally, the, the, the thing that is the mikdash, that is asking something different of you, is a concept independent of a room, and therefore, the ability to beckon God to be within that moment is also independent of a Jeep. It should be something that we don't need a building to do, right? Now, I'm clearly not saying we don't need our, our, our setup. We very much need so. But at the very least, um, try to, to treat the synagogue and treat ourselves in the synagogue in a way that corresponds to what the, even this is a concern. And if we really want to get back to how the original, the original notion of Kedusha would be to say that every possible in which we can expect ourselves to be Kadosh, and then hope in response, God will be all amongst us. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.